always by saying, I'm really excited about this series. And I got thinking about it and I thought, there's never a time when I'm not. I've, I never give a message to you that I'm not excited about or a series that I'm not super excited about. And um, uh, this is a series that I think would be uh, useful on Sunday mornings as well. But, uh, you know, there's just so many things that I, I want us to be able to go through together as a church. You just don't have enough time to do everything that you want to do. And that's uh, probably one of my uh, great frustrations is wanting to do so much more and only having uh, two times a, in a week to be able to do it with you. Uh, but I'm looking forward to talking about the life of Jacob. I, I find Jacob to be a really fascinating person. And he's a little bit challenging to look at closely because I think in some ways it's hard to know what to make of him. Uh, he does a lot of things that are wrong. <laughs> a lot of things that you're like, what are you doing? Uh, and there's not a lot of things that are said about him that are very redeeming. Uh, and yet he takes up a very significant portion of the account in Genesis. And one of the things that I'm excited about doing is not only just looking at the life of Jacob, but thinking about how God is going to transform this person to become one of the patriarchs for the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, he is going to become a central figure and a key figure in God's redemptive history. And yet his beginning is a mess. And thus the title, When Your Past is trash. Now, uh, I'm going to spend some time more just looking quickly at his past, and in some future lessons, we will go more slowly through his life. But as we take a take the moment to consider how uh, God is going to change this man and be, make him become trans, transforming him into what God wants him to be, I, I think it's useful to do some background and some beginnings and setting forward some big ideas about his life. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 25 is where we're starting as we're going to scope over chapters 25 through 31 tonight and getting an overview about his beginnings and how things all went for him. Now, his beginning, I think, is particularly interesting and certainly unusual. In Genesis 25, we have uh, Isaac and Rebekah. They are going to be the parents of twins, clearly not identical twins, but they are twins nonetheless. And their names are going to be Jacob and Esau. However, before they are born, it seems that there is a, an interesting problem happening for Rebekah. We're told in chapter 25 of Genesis in verse 22, it says that the children were struggling together within her. And if there would be probably a theme of Jacob's life that we're going to see from start to finish is the word struggle. A struggle is going to work really well for him. And you see it happen from the very beginning. In verse 25, the children are struggling and Rebecca is asking, why is this happening to me? And she inquires of the Lord. And what is given to us in verse 23 becomes a very important prophecy describing what God is going to do through Jacob. And so God's answer is that there are two nations in your womb, two peoples from within you shall be divided. 
one shall be stronger than the other. Nothing really unusual about the prophecy so far. It's the ending that's striking, which is, and the older will serve the younger. Now, that's not the way things worked, particularly in ancient Near Eastern times. The older had all of the privileges and they received the lion's share of the blessings. They received the lion's share of the inheritance. They were going to be the ones who would take over as the head of family. If all courses were to go according to human means, uh, Esau would be the one who would be the new head of family. And he would be the one to receive the grand blessing. And he would be the one to receive the majority of the inheritance. But God makes a prophecy here in which he reverses it. And he reverses it to that culture and saying in verse 23 that the older will serve the younger. That's going to become a pivotal part of Jacob's life as well as a pivotal part of Jacob's future. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the picture of Jacob as well is not only do you have these words said about him before he is even born, that the older will serve the younger, that Jacob is going to be the greater, but the naming of them is is great as well. In verse 24, uh, Rebekah gives birth. In verse 25, Esau is named his name because he came out red and his body was like a hairy cloak. Verse 26, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So they named his name was called Jacob and, I, and Isaac was 60 years old when they bore him. Now, we just don't do this really in our society anymore where we make relevance to the names. We always go by what sounds cute. When we named our kids, we didn't look up the etymology of the names. We just were trying to figure out what works with Kirchaville and it's not a lot. So we got to keep it short and keep it real. Is kind of how we had to figure that out. That's not how it worked for them. They would go by a particular meaning. So when the first child comes out, he comes out all red. So they go, Esau, red. Okay, that works. That, that, that works for a name. How easy would that be to have to think about names? You would just, how the child was born, you just kind of went with the first word that came to your mind. And that, that was made life easy. But notice how the story would have been told in verse 26. You can imagine Isaac and Rebecca telling all their friends and neighbors and family about about the birth of these children and going, you wouldn't believe that after the first one was born, you can imagine a hand coming out of the womb, holding on to Esau as he's pulled out. And so they go, all right, well, we're going to call him heel catcher. That's that works, works really well. He came out holding the heel. So that's what we will name him. And so that's what Jacob's name means. And yet. That naming of him as the heel catcher is going to play large in his life as well. It is interesting how often people's names, they seem to live up to it in the scriptures one way or another. And Jacob certainly has that happening for him. The very first scene that we are given about Jacob is at the end of chapter 25. We're not told exactly how old they are. But they're certainly not little kids. They are much older in life. We're told that Esau is a hunter. We're told that Jacob really is not. One day, verse 29, Jacob was cooking stew. And Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom. 
And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Now, I already talked about Esau just a few weeks ago, so I won't spend time talking about his perspective. We've already looked at his perspective. Rather, I would like for us to look at Jacob's perspective because already you're already getting a feel about Jacob and the kind of person he is because I want you to imagine your brother coming in from the field and he is absolutely famished. He's exhausted. He feels like he's about to pass out from the day he's had trying to hunt. And he comes in and says, I am just starving. Can I have some of that stew? And your brother's reaction is, yeah, only if you give me the birthright. Are you kidding? But what Jacob is doing is showing that he wants to take advantage of his brother. He is a shrewd person who has no problem trying to get what he wants and is going to try to take advantage of Esau in any way that, that he can. So his response is, sell me your birthright. Obviously, Esau should have said, you're nuts. That's a most unbelievable, ridiculous request. But he agrees. And Jacob then uses his shrewdness, takes advantage of Esau in this moment, and takes that birthright from him. The scene next time that we see Jacob jumps to chapter 27. And chapter 27, really, I couldn't think of a better word to stick on him, except, I mean, this is really kind of some swindling that's going on here. I mean, Isaac believes he's toward the end of his life and he needs to dispense the blessings. He's unable to see at this point because of his old age. And so he calls for Esau and tells him, wants you to go out into the field and hunt some game and make that great stew that you always make. You come back with that stew and I'm going to give you the blessing as the older son. Rebecca overhears that and tells Jacob, here's my plan. I'm going to make the stew just like your father likes. And I'm going to have you go in there and I'm going to have you take that blessing from him. Now, I don't have time for this, but if I could put a rock in your, your shoe and maybe turn the kaleidoscope a little bit and how we think about Isaac and Rebecca, I want us to realize that Isaac is in the wrong for what he's doing right here. A promise has been made by God that it will be the older serving the younger. The blessing is supposed to go to Jacob and not go to Esau. And we are told in chapter 25, Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. And Isaac is going forth with giving the blessing to Esau rather than to Jacob. Now, I don't want to necessarily um, give a pass to Rebecca because I don't know that she's necessarily doing this with good means. Maybe she is. Maybe she's like, hey, wait a minute. God said it was supposed to be Jacob and you're doing it wrong. And so I'm going to get Jacob in there so that he gets the blessing or rather she is also being like son and swindling and working all of this out. It doesn't give us her motivation behind it. But I think it is important to keep in mind, we were told from the start that Jacob is supposed to be the greater. And Isaac is about to make Esau the greater. And so that scene now unfolds. So Jacob comes in and he pretends to be his brother. And what's interesting is when the, the blessing is given to Jacob and then Esau comes in later looking for the blessing. And now Isaac can't believe that. He's been duped by all of this and 
dispenses a lesser blessing to, to Esau. I want you to notice the words that Esau puts upon Jacob in chapter 27 and verse 36. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Now, when, when they named him Jacob, I don't think they had this intent behind it. I don't know that any parent goes, I'm going to give you a, you know, a very negative connotation name. But notice Esau turns that here. And he says, for he has cheated me these two times. He has taken away my birthright and behold, he has taken away my blessing. And now then Esau starts pleading for a blessing of his own. I want you to see that this whole idea of heel catcher has turned into another meaning with Jacob. And now it means he's a cheat. <laughs> he is a swindler. He is someone who has stolen this, this from me. And that's the picture that's being given in regards to him. The, the New American Standard reads that Jacob had betrayed him. Uh, NIV reads Jacob has taken advantage of Esau. The uh, Legacy Standard Bible reads has supplanted him. Uh, the net is interesting, has tripped me up. So you can kind of think of the picture of grabbing a foot and tripping a person. So Esau is turning this meaning of, you know, here's this heel catcher. Yeah, he's a cheater. He's a swindler. He's somebody that can't be trusted. And I can't believe that he's done this to me these two times. And to put a finale on these beginnings of Jacob, Jacob has lied to his blind father twice. I, Isaac challenges him and says, are you really Esau? And Jacob goes, yes. He doesn't say, yeah, no, I'm not. But dad, you're supposed to bless me because that's what God said from the very beginning to mom. Remember that whole thing about what God? Oh, no, I'm, I'm Esau. And he says it twice. And he's trying to steal it and lies to his father, steals this blessing, living up to this swindler picture that Jacob has now been given. Well, Esau then at the end of chapter 27, we're told that Esau is going to kill Jacob now at this point. He's uh, robbed him of the birthright. He has now swindled him out of the blessing. Jacob is now basically a dead man to Esau. Esau's going to kill him. Rebecca says, you need to run for your life. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you to Haran where my uncle is back up in the north. That's where you might remember some of Abraham's family had stopped on his way from Ur. Some of his family had, had been remained there. And so here now Uncle Laban is going to be up there. And so she says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to flee to Haran and I want you to stay there until your brother's anger has subsided. Now, here's something that's particularly interesting is once the, his anger has subsided, Rebecca says, then I'll send a message for you and I will call you to come back. That message never comes. You know, you, you hear a message like that and you think, OK, we'll give it a few months and he'll he'll calm down. What happens is Jacob is going to end up in Haran for 20 years now. For 20 years, and that's what's covered from chapters 28 through 31 in just a few chapters 20 years of Jacob's life is going to pass by and he is going to be working for his uncle Laban. But what is particularly interesting is that God is going to start doing a work on Jacob now. So he's a liar. He's a swindler. He's a cheat. He's all of these things in the very beginning. Not a good start. Nothing positive. 
presented in regards to Jacob in those early chapters. But God is now going to spend some time working on Jacob while he's away from home for these 20 years. And one of the things that is interesting in this beginning of how God begins to work on Jacob and change him is is found in, in chapter 28. In chapter 28, if you've grown up in the pews, you've probably heard the story of the, the staircase or the ladder to heaven that is opened up. And you see that that dream in chapter 28 and, and verse 12. Now, what I want you to notice is not particularly the, the dream itself with the angels ascending and descending, but what God says to Jacob at this moment, here he is, he has just cheated his brother to such a degree that his brother wants to kill him. His mother has now sent him on the run to, to Haran. And I want you to notice that here's the message that is ultimately given. Look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. First thing I want you to see is that Jacob is told that the promise that had been made to his father Isaac and to his grandfather Abraham is to you also. In you, all the nations are going to be blessed and your family is going to be far and wide like the sand of the sea, like the stars of the sky, just like what was promised to Abraham is now being reiterated to Jacob. And then notice another promise that's given in verse 15. He says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So God gives two promises. One, you are going to get the family promises of Abraham and Isaac. Two, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you through all of this. I'm going to be faithful to you and I'm going to watch over you and I'm going to bring you back to this place. Now, Jacob's response to this, I think, is particularly interesting and useful. Notice in verse 20 what Jacob says. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone that I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Notice Jacob just kind of makes a point here and says, God, if you'll be faithful to me, then I'll be faithful to you. And I think it's particularly interesting that at this point, you don't see Jacob taking ownership of God. We're going to read frequently that Jacob will speak of God as the God of his father, Isaac, and his father, Abraham. And will not say of himself. And that even comes to light here. And the end of verse 21. If you will go with me and you will give me peace and bread to eat and clothing to wear and bring me back to my father's house. End of verse 21. Then the Lord shall be my God. So he's kind of not in on all this. But he says, if God will be faithful, then I'll be faithful. And thus the scene unfolds that now Jacob on the run 
chapter 29 ends up back in Haran where Uncle Laban is. And you would like to suppose, well, God made a promise that everything's going to go well and I'm going to be with you and it's all going to be great, right? Chapters 29 through 31 show that just because God is faithful to you doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And what is particularly interesting about these beginnings for Jacob is that what God then does to Jacob is essentially give him what we like to call a taste of your own medicine. Uh, We have a kind of saying about kind of what goes around comes around the kind of idea. And there's a little bit of that happening here, because if I'm to sum up these chapters and give you a sense of what happens in chapter 29, you have now Jacob's uncle swindling Jacob. Where Jacob was the swindler and the one trying to take advantage of people and trying to steal and lie and get what he needs. Now Laban starts doing that to Jacob. Jacob is in love with Rachel and uncle swindles him. And so he ends up marrying Leah rather than Rachel, causing him to have to work seven more years for for Laban in that process. If that was not enough, chapter 30 just records now that he has both Rachel and Leah, it's not a good time in the family household. We've got the wives are warring, the handmaids are warring, it's a baby war all out. Nobody's happy, there is no peace, it's a total mess in Jacob's life as all these women are now arguing and and squabbling over Jacob and the fact that some are barren and some are not and trying to win Jacob's love. Chapter 30 also records that Jacob's uncle then tries to swindle him out of his wages. Rather than paying him what he's due, he refuses to do that. And he keeps working faithfully for Laban anyway. And all of this scene comes to a final head at the end in chapter 31 when Jacob finally says, it's time for me to go back home because God calls him to go back to his homeland And you might remember the scene that he's going to take what is is rightfully his of sheep from all the work that he's done for Laban because Laban has prospered due to Jacob. And so he says, I'm going to take what's rightfully mine. And Laban swindles him again and tries to give him none of the sheep. And so it becomes a whole thing. So it's really interesting to watch that these 20 years that Jacob is gone, He's experiencing all kinds of hardship and he's being cheated and he's being taken advantage of and he's being swindled throughout all of those things. And so I want to underscore that just because God says, I will be with you and be faithful to you doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. And for 20 years, that's exactly what Jacob experiences. Now that brings us out to chapter 31, 30 and 31, because what I want you to notice is in these 20 years of all of this trouble and after he had cheated his brother and after he's had to run for his life and now as he's been swindled by his uncle for these 20 years, Jacob throughout this starts talking about how he has seen the faithfulness of God. And that is fascinating because He doesn't seem to be that kind of person as we see him in these introductory chapters. And yet I want you to notice like in chapter 30 and in verse 30, we're told there that as he talks to to Laban, for if you, for it, I'll get there, verse 30, for you had little before I came. He's talking to Laban. 
and it increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. So notice he makes the point to Laban after Laban has tried to swindle him with the sheep. And so then Jacob takes what's rightfully his and then Laban starts chasing him uh, to try to get it all back. And they finally have this get together and they're talking it all out. And Jacob's first point where he references God is he says, now here's what I want you to understand, Laban. The whole reason you've been blessed is because God's been with me. And that's why you've prospered. Everything that I've done for you is because of God. And that's why you're doing well. In fact, I want you to notice the words that Jacob says in verse 33. Verse 33, Jacob says, so my honesty will answer for me later. Some of your translations may say my integrity. I don't know that anybody would have thought that Jacob would have stood on his integrity. <laughs> but you're seeing a change in Jacob. These 20 years have changed this man. And in the process of changing him, he is able to stay, say straight face before Laban, I've been honest and I have been full of integrity with you. His past was certainly not that way. You would not look at his past and go, oh yeah, full of integrity and honesty. You lied to your father. You cheated your brother. You're a disaster taking advantage of everybody that's in your way. But now he says, that's not me. My honesty and my integrity will testify. I've been able to be, be a different person. Chapter 31 and verse 5, he makes the, the point that I'll, he says, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father, notice he hasn't owned him yet, but the God of my father has been with me. And so he's looking back at his life, even though it's been through ups and downs, and even though it has not been easy in 20 years of working and serving and being cheated by his uncle, he's able to look back and say... God's been with me. He says it again in chapter 31 in, in, in verse 7 when he says, your father has cheated me. He's telling Rachel this about Laban. Your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. Can you imagine just the degree of swindling that Laban has been doing to Jacob? 10 times he's said, I'm going to give you this and then hasn't done it. He keeps changing the terms. And that has happened for 20 years with him. But God did not permit him to harm me. He's seen the hand of God. He says it again in chapter 31 and verse 42, where he says, if the God of my father, notice again, it's not his God yet, still God of my father. But if the God of my father had not been on my side. So notice again, he's seen that God has been on his side through this. And finally, chapter 31 in verse 42, God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you. That's Laban rebuked you last night. And so here is Jacob. And I just want you to see in this very short section after Laban catches up with him, that Jacob repeatedly keeps seeing the hand of God after the fact, after all that he's gone through and after all the torment of what Laban has done to him. He's able to look back and say, but I can see the faithfulness of God. God has been with me. God has taken care of me. You've tried to swindle me, but God has protected me. And he's carried me through because he's been on my side and has seen my affliction. So three simple points that I want to draw from this beginning 
about Jacob and watching how God is starting to turn things in Jacob's life. Number one, your past can be trash, but that doesn't mean God didn't help you through the hardships. It's one of the things that Jacob is doing right now is here he is. He's about to go back to his homeland. And he's having a discussion with Laban and also with his wife, Rachel. And throughout that discussion, he's saying, you know, that was a real big mess for 20 years. But that didn't mean that God wasn't with me. And I think this is such an important picture for us to draw into our minds is because sometimes we can think that having a hard life or having to go down a hard path means that God has abandoned us. We often draw those conclusions. It is only if things are going well, then that means God is with me. If I'm comfortable, then that must mean God is with me. But if things are hard, if things are bad, if I'm being cheated, if it's really difficult, then where is God? Why isn't he with me? And I want you to see that Jacob, in the midst of all that, does not say after 20 years, see, God said he he promised he would be with me, and I don't see it. That's not what he does. As bad as things were, And as tough as it was with Laban, he still is able to say, God was faithful and he was with me. And friends, God can absolutely be with you even when life is hard, even when things are difficult. Because in those promises, God did not say, Jacob, I'm going to be faithful to you and make your life easy. Now, we all wish we could sign up for that promise. But God never tells anybody that promise. There's nobody anywhere in these pages that gets the, I'm going to make your life easy promise. No, God's promise is, I will be with you. And so even in difficult times, we should be able to look back and see the hand of God. King David made that point when he penned Psalm 23. David does not say in Psalm 23 that the Lord is his shepherd who always leads him on mountaintops of glory. You know, (laughs) sure wish it said that, right? God will always keep us on the peaks and never in the valleys. That's not what the psalm says. The psalm says the Lord is my shepherd and he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. He's going to walk me through those difficulties. He's going to put me in the valley. He's going to put me in the dark times. But that doesn't mean he's left me. He's the shepherd who leads us through the valleys. And that's what God is doing with Jacob right now. Is he's taking him through the valley to try to do some transforming, trying to do some molding, trying to do some refining of this man to make Jacob become the future patriarch that he needs to be in service to God. So your past can be trash. But just because your past is terrible does not mean that God was not with you through the difficulty. Number two, just because your past is trash does not mean that God doesn't have a bright future for you. Just because your past is a disaster does not mean that God doesn't have big things in store. See, we're on the other side. We've been able to read the rest of Genesis. We know what's going to happen with Jacob. We know about his name being changed to Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel and all that's going to come of all of that. But Jacob doesn't know that yet. 
To him, it just looks like this is terrible and awful. And I think it's so important for us to remind ourselves that just because Jacob had made a bunch of bad decisions and experienced 20 years of hardship under the hand of his uncle, that did not mean it was the end of his story. And it did not mean that God did not have big things in store for Jacob. And it doesn't mean that God does not have big things in store for us as well. Friends, let me say that God does not want us to get stuck in our past, allowing our future to be ruined because we decide to live in the past. You know, Jacob could just sit here and go, I'm just a swindler and a cheat and I take advantage of people and I'm an awful person. and I can't believe all the terrible things I've done. And I want you to see that God's moving Jacob forward. Okay. Your past was garbage, but that doesn't mean that God can't do great things for your life in the future. So just as much that God can lead us into the valley of the shadow of death, God will also lead us out of the valley of the shadow of death. Number three, God makes a statement to Jacob that is true for all of us. What God is doing is showing that he is faithful to you so that you will be faithful to him. It's one of the most amazing things that you see about God. God has never said, you go first and then I'll respond. God always says, I'll go first and you respond. So you have words like what the apostle John wrote in 1 John 4 and verse 19. We love because he first loved us. And what God is doing here is saying, now, Jacob, I'm going to be faithful to you and you're going to see my hand in your life and you're going to see how I cared for you. And by doing so, I expect you to be faithful to me. And that's what Jacob then vows and says, if you keep your word, then I will be faithful to you. And friends, God keeps his word. He wants us to see his faithful love. He wants us to see how he has been with us in the highs and the lows and the peaks and the valleys. He has been with us every step of the way so that we will then be faithful to him. He has never left us or forsaken us. He is right there with us. So even in the difficulty, we're supposed to have our eyes upward and go, I'll stay faithful to you because I know that you are with me. And so God comes to us and promises us that he will be with us and never leave us so that we will trust him and we'll change our lives so that we're faithful to him in return. God's just getting started on Jacob, but he's already starting the molding and starting the turning starting to move him to become the person that God wants him to be. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we can get sometimes so depressed and disappointed and stuck because of the things that have happened to us in our past and the things that we have done in our past. And Lord, through those times, it can sometimes feel like we are alone. And we can feel like 
we're abandoned. And we can certainly feel like we are undeserving of your love because of the foolish things that we've done. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that you are faithful to your word always. That you have said that you would be with us through the good times and the bad. That you are with us in the times of rejoicing and the times of suffering. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see how you have been with us every step of the way. Help us to see how you have cared for us in the past. How you've walked with us through those hardships. How you've walked through with us through that pain. And Lord, help us to see that there can be so much more ahead of us that you have in store for us as your servants. That even though we may have messed up things so badly for us, Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God who forgives, who allows us to push the reset button and allows us to start over. Allows us to have great things that lie ahead. So, Lord, help us to see your faithfulness. And please let that be a catalyst to be faithful to you. Lord, forgive us for when we have been unfaithful. Forgive us for when we have not seen your hand, even though it is clearly there. Forgive us for when we have challenged you. And forgive us for failing to trust you with all of our heart. Thank you for your son that offers that forgiveness. And Lord, thank you for being a faithful God who says that you will be with us all the way. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to the faithfulness of God. He is faithful to you, and he asked you to be faithful to him, that you would turn away from sin, turn away from living for self, and instead follow him with all of your heart. Give your life to him completely today. See his hand in your past, and see the great things he can do for you going forward. Can we help you in any way? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?